Let's get to our message today. We're going to part two of Captivated by Christ. We're going to Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 to 15. And the word of God reads this. It says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head of every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken away taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you'll just uh, speak to us today. Give us insight as to what your word is saying to these amazing truths about what God accomplished upon the cross 2,000 years ago so that our hearts, our faith, our eyes, our hands, Every part of our being can be directed towards you and your glory and that you might truly be our joy and satisfaction in this life. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the main message that we talked about so far in this book of Colossians, the main point of this whole you know, uh, letter is Paul trying to tell these Colossian believers this one very simple message. Make sure you live out your Christian life just like you were Saved. What did that look like? Thankful that Jesus Christ chose us to be saved so that he could become the Lord of our lives forever, so that we could be restored and reconciled to the Father and finally discover who we were always created to be, worshipers of the great King and Lord Jesus Christ. And that's it. That's what we were restored to. And if you keep that central within your life, then you'll be able to make it to the finish line faithfully. But will that journey be easy? And we said, no, it won't. Last week we said that there's going to be a lot of opposition. You know, the evil one will always be trying to stop you, will always be trying to make you stumble, and will do everything that he can to make sure that the Lordship of Jesus Christ gets toppled in your life. And so Paul gives us warnings after he gives us this wonderful message. And last week we received the first of those warnings. And the first, and it goes something like this. He said, make sure you don't get spiritually kidnapped, right? Make sure you don't get spiritually kidnapped by replacing the lordship of Jesus Christ with these hollow and deceptive philosophies, things in your life that can easily become idols that replace Jesus Christ in your life, the person that you worship. And we said that the most powerful way that we could resist being taken captive is to be captivated by Jesus Christ daily. Now, before we get before Paul gets to the next warning, which is very uh, interesting, is that he takes verses 9 to 15 to actually talk about Jesus Christ. And he la- elaborates on what Jesus Christ exactly did for us. And so we're going to cover that today. And my hope is that as we study these verses together, it'll not only solidify your understanding of what happened upon the cross 2,000 years ago, but it'll become this continual source of hope and joy and purpose so that you can live your lives defending you know, yourselves against the evil one, but not only that, finding victory against him so that you could be faithful and um 
so that you can be faithful and that you won't get spiritually kidnapped in your walk with Christ. Okay, so here's the main point. Let me just share the main point with you. The main point is this. You have been made full in Christ. That's it. You have been made full in Christ. Verses 9 and 10. It says this, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. Verse 9 is an incredible verse because what it's saying is that all of who God is, everything that God is all about is fully in Jesus Christ, right? Everything that God is, the fullness of God is in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the true embodiment of all that God is. Now, the thing is, we've heard that probably a hundred times, if you've been to church long enough, maybe even a thousand times. We all know that's the truth, but Paul writes that to these Colossian believers because they really needed to hear that because the heresies that they were up against were telling them that Jesus Christ wasn't all that God is. And you actually needed more than Jesus to know to be truly spiritual and to grow in your spiritual life. So they needed to hear that. So Paul shares another amazing truth in verse 10 where, you know, where he says this. He says, in Christ, you have been brought to fulfillment. What is he saying? He's saying that the moment that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, because you are now in Christ and Christ has the fullness of God in him, you now have the fullness of God in you as well, right? It's like, is that the transitive property of mathematics, right? If A equals B and B equals C, A equals C, you know? If Christ has all the fullness and we're in Christ, we now have all the fullness of God as well. What does that mean? It means two things. Number one, it means that we have the fullness of God fully, right? Right now. It is not a future promise, but it's a present reality, right? Because we are now in full, uh, fully in Christ, the fullness of God in Christ has been given to us fully. You have it, okay? You guys understand that? You have the fullness of God in you. That's a huge truth, okay? We'll move on to the second truth. Here's the second thing it means. It means the fullness of, of God in Christ can only be accessed in Christ. We have the fullness of God. God's given us the fullness in Christ. But if we want to access the fullness of God, it can be only accessed in Christ. All of who God is, is available to us. All that he's about, his character, his goodness, his love, his joy, it's all available to us. But it's only available to us in Christ. Christ. What does that mean? It means if we need God's wisdom, if we need God's strength, if we need God's joy within our life, then we need to turn to Christ to get it. That's all it means. Okay. If we need his comfort, if we need, you know, his satisfaction, if we need, you know, his courage, then we need to turn to Christ to receive it. And when we do turn to Christ, not only will we receive it, but we'll receive it fully. This is the promise of what it means to be full in him, but it can only be accessed in Christ, which means that we need to seek him in order to receive it. And that's the real challenge, isn't it? Right? Everything I just told you is probably nothing's probably new. Oh, we're we have the fullness of God in Christ, yes. And we have that now. It needs to be accessed in Christ. You probably heard that all that stuff a hundred times. So the challenge for us Christians today, a lot of times in the church, is not that is not knowing these truths, but it's actually accessing these truths and experiencing these truths to become true within each one of our lives. 
And that's a lot of times where we kind of, you know, fail, if that's a, the right word. You know, this past week, I had a very, very tough week. It's not as tough as some of the members in our church, some of the members in our church, in our ministry, F- FLM, we've lost some dear family members, you know. We've lost some loved ones in our family. And, you know, our hearts and our prayers go out to you guys, you know. Uh, our hearts and our prayers are with you, you know. And it was a very tough week for a lot of members in our in our church. But it was also a tough week for me because of those people that passed away. You know, um, it reminded me of my family back in the States, you know, and everyone, you know, my family back in the States, they are doing it really hard as well. And so, you know, it made me very emotional this week. It made me very sad this week. And uh, I don't know, you know, sometimes when you're really emotional and sad about, you know, difficult circumstances, it just kind of paralyzes you sometimes. And so that's kind of how it was for me this week. So it was tough. But um, I would love to have said, oh, you know, recognizing how tough it was, I turned to Jesus, prayed, and then God filled me and everything was fine. But it's not true. That's not the real testimony this week. Um, instead, I, I turned to some of my close friends. Uh, their names are Netflix, YouTube, and some sneaker websites, you know, that I should never visit. My wife. Anyway. Uh, uh, but, you know, and it wasn't good. Because none of those helped me overcome my emotions. They were just kind of like temporary distractions. You know what I'm talking about? They just distract you for the moment. But at the end of the day, when you go to sleep, you you still are, you know, disturbed by the the emotions and and the difficulties that you're facing. But it wasn't until I was driving to Friday Night Prayer. Uh, While I was driving there, that's when I realized, because I didn't realize all week, That's when I realized that I had never turned to Jesus this week. You know, I I preached this message that you can find your full comfort, joy, peace, all this stuff in Christ. Um, But I realized on Friday night that I never did that. I never turned to Jesus. And so, you know, at that prayer meeting, though, um, it was amazing. Because it was I think it was the first time the whole week that I just started to pour my heart to Christ. And I turned to him and I said, dude, oh, not dude. I said, God, you know, you're the one that you promised that you, you're the God of all comfort. You're the one that you said you would give me a peace that transcends all, all, all understanding. And, you know, I sought after him and I asked him to fill me with those things. But what's really amazing is um, it's, it's an absolutely transformative experience, if I can say it that way, to know that you are being loved by the king of the universe and that he actually cares more about you than you even do about yourself. And it was amazing, you know? And that all happens at Friday Night Prayer. You guys should come to Friday Night Prayer, right? Shameless plug. Anyway, no, but, uh, you know, the, the, the difficulty is that we know these truths. But even for pastors like me too, It's not like I turned to Jesus right away and we don't engage in these truths. Therefore, we don't experience the fullness of God. Do you know what I'm saying? And that goes, that happens so much within our lives that we know these truths and we know it's true, but we don't experience those things, nor nor do we grasp those things because we refuse to actually engage Christ to experience and to know his fullness within our lives. So we need to see Christ so that we can operate our lives 
within those truths. And when we do, I, you know, I swear, and I'm, I'm not just saying this because it fits the message, but when I walked away from Friday Night Prayer on the car ride home, I was just so thankful. I was thankful that I'm loved by the King of the Universe. I was so thankful that he chose me to be saved. I was so thankful that, you know, that my life is in God's hands. And no matter how difficult things might be overseas in Chicago, I can trust him. And I just knew that I could. It's an amazing thing to be loved by the King of the Universe, you know. And, and when you're thankful for his lordship and control over your life, that protects your heart from being spiritually kidnapped by other idols of the world. And that's all I'm saying here. And that's exactly what verse 10 means. It says that he is the head of every spiritual power and authority. And what that's saying is that Jesus is acknowledging that there are spiritual forces that operate within this world. There are authority structures in this world that are actually calling out for your attention, that actually seek to rule over your lives. And they come with these promises to give you fuller security or deeper satisfaction. And therefore, all of them have potential to be rivals to Christ. But those invitations are just as blasphemous as they are hollow and deceptive, like we talked about last week. And the reason why is because there are no rivals to Jesus Christ. He's the head over all of them, right? He rules over all of them. And when we are captivated by God's fullness in Christ for our lives, and his headship becomes our joy, that's when we will be protected from the deceptfulness or decept deceptive deceptiveness of all those hollow and empty philosophies. Right? The answer to having a vibrant faith that enjoys the fullness of God is to be captivated by Christ every day. We have been made full in Christ. Christ is all that we need in this life, and we can be fully satisfied in Christ alone. That's a sermon in and of itself, right? And it'd be great if I just ended the sermon right here. Amen? Yes. But unfortunately, there are like many more verses that I actually do want to cover today. And the reason why Paul includes these verses is because verses 11 to 15 actually expands on what Christ actually did and how it's supposed to have changed our lives. And if it hasn't changed yet, how it can change your life. So there's three things that what Christ did upon the cross changes us. And let's cover those together. Number one, we've become members of God's family because of what Christ has done. Verse 11, it says, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. A lot of circumcision here. Circumcision is when a piece of flesh is cut off from the male genitalia. Yes, we said the word genitalia on the pulpit. Anyway, you know, circumcision in the Old Testament, it did two things. It made you a part of God's family, but it also made you a beneficiary of all of God's covenant promises. It was a great and wonderful thing. But what this passage is saying, first and foremost, is a very interesting thing. It's saying that Christ became our circumcision. Absolutely bizarro to say it that way. But what is it saying? It's saying that his whole body, it's a picture image that God wants us to see here. Just as circumcision is the cutting off of a piece of flesh, Jesus Christ was cut off violently on the cross in death. And so it's this picture thing. It's a little gruesome, but that's the crucifixion that this passage is talking about here. And by being, if I can say it this way, by becoming the perfect circumcision for mankind, 
What he did was he opened up the way for all races and all peoples of all generations to now become God's people and to become beneficiaries of God's covenant promises, right? And for anyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, it can all be theirs, right? All that God promises in Scripture is available to us because we are now members of God's family. All the ways that God wants to partner with us to do his eternal work, all available to us now that we are members of God's family. All the ways that God wants us to know him and experience him, all available to us because we are now members of God's family. We have full access to all that God is because Christ became the circumcision for us. We are members of God's family. And the membership, it's not like that membership, it's not like my gym membership where if you don't pay your dues, they cut you off, right? Because what is it's secured eternally. Because what it says here is that our membership has been secured by God himself. The circumcision was not performed by human hands, but his. So as long as we have faith in Christ, as long as we live just as we were saved, God will always keep us securely in his family so that we can enjoy his fullness each and every moment of our lives. But here's the challenge. The challenge is this. If you want to operate your lives in that fullness as a member of God's family, you can't be half-hearted about it. You can't be half-committed to a family. You're either fully in or you're fully out. And this is how it has to be. Right? You either have to be fully surrendered and fully committed to that family, or you probably won't experience how amazing it truly is to be, to have the fullness of God in Christ. When my wife got married to me, she decided to change her last name to become part of the Bang family. Greatest decision she ever made in her whole life. True story. Anyway, um, but she soon found out that uh, being part of the Bang family is not very easy. Actually, it's very, very difficult. There are a lot of demands that come with being part of the Bang family, right? There are like household demands, housekeeping demands. There are social demands. You know, there are holiday and birthday demands. There are appearance demands, there are ministry demands, and so on and so on and so on, you know. Great families demand great things, okay. Anyway, uh, but she struggled. My wife struggled, and my wife struggled the first few years of her marriage because, you know, it, it was very, very difficult. I think anyone would struggle being part of my family. I still struggle being a part of my family, and when I mean my family, it's not just me. But it's also like, you know, my parents and stuff like that. And so, you know, it's, it's difficult. And I think looking back, I think the biggest, the biggest mistake that she made was she just thought she could be herself, you know, and everything would be fine. But uh, what she realized is that the whole journey challenged every single part of her being. And she, it was a very, very difficult journey for her to be married to me and my family. But anyway, like one day, like five, six years into it, down the line, all of a sudden, I was noticing that she no longer struggled. But yet, 
you know, what I, and what I mean by that is that she was no longer bitterly meeting the demands that my family was making of her. And so when I asked her, hey, what happened? She said, oh, it's very simple. I just surrendered, man, 100%. That's how she said. I just surrendered. It sounds sad, right? But welcome to marriage, okay? Anyway, you know, and the thing is, it is sad. It is sad. But every single person who's married here knows exactly what I'm talking about. You know, if you truly want to love your spouse and your in-laws and genuinely grow with them, um, the only way to do that is if you eventually get to this point where you just say, you want to know something? I I surrender. I just fully embrace them as my own family, and I fully commit myself to loving them and caring for them as if they were my own family, and whatever comes, I'll embrace it, and, and we'll go with it. And that's what it takes, right? You know, I think the same goes for being a Christian. When we become Christians, we become a part of God's family. But for some reason, we think it's going to be easy. But it's not going to be easy whatsoever. It's not easy to be a part of God's family. Actually, as a matter of fact, I always tell people it's unnatural. It's unnatural to be part of God's family. And the reason why it's unnatural is because he's holy and we're not. Right? And for some reason, we're convinced, that okay, yeah, you know, I'm fully accepted as who I am. So I'm just going to be myself and everything should be okay because God made me a Christian. But no, it's not because there are demands. There are demands of holiness that God has of us, right? And it'll always challenge us. It'll always, you know, it'll continually challenge our selfishness. It'll continually challenge our personal desires. We cannot really be our sinful selves anymore. And so a lot of Christians I see in the church, they become bitter. You know, they become resistant to God all the time. And the reason why is not because they're they're not convinced of the truth. It's because they haven't fully surrendered into what God wanted for them as a part of his family. We need to fully surrender ourselves and fully be fully committed to his family if we truly want to experience and know the fullness of what it means to be a part of his family, right? And that's what it takes. The moment you completely you change your allegiance to God, though it will be hard, that's when you truly start to know and experience how wonderful it is to be loved by the Father and taking care of him all the time. God paid such a huge price so that we could be part of his family. Let's be fully committed to him so that we can truly enjoy the fullness of being a part of it. Secondly, um, we have died to sin. Not only did we become members of God's family, but we have now died to sin. Verses 11 to 13, it says, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the circumcision, uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins. Let's look at this for a second. Verse 11 says that when we were circumcised in Christ, what that's saying is our sinful master was cut off. That means our sins and our sinfulness no longer rules us. It has been killed. It has been cut off from our lives. Do you guys understand that truth? Our sinfulness and our sinful nature has been cut off from us the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 13 then goes on to say that God did that so that you can now live a new life. 
Okay, that old life completely killed off, completely cut off, so that God can give you a new life to live out. This new life characterized by thanksgiving, characterized by forgiveness, you know, so with his lordship over us. Point being, the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you were never meant to look back. You were never meant to look back and look back at the at the sinful life that you gave up to now live for Jesus. There was this one time I was riding in the passenger seat of a car, and the driver was absolutely obsessed with his rear view mirror. Have you ever been in the car? You know, do you know how scary that is? Do you know how scary that is to be the passenger? And you're like, dude. Keep your eyes forward. And, you know, it, we were going 60. It was just a regular road with, like, you know, you know, with lights and roundabouts and everything. But he was obsessed with the rearview mirror. And I was afraid for my life. And so I'm, like, yelling and screaming, which I normally don't do because I'm such a cool character. But, <laughs> I mean, I was, I, I was screaming at him. It was so scary. I, I was convinced that we were, getting, we were going to get into an accident at any moment. But do you know what's scarier than that? Christians who look back on their sinful life. That's scary, right? Because this verse says that God absolutely cut it off, right? God cut off that, 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 that sinful life, that old life from us. So if we're constantly looking backwards to a life that doesn't exist, guess where we're headed? We're headed to destruction. It's guaranteed, right? We're going to crash and burn no matter what if we're constantly looking back upon our old Life, focusing on the sins and focusing on idols of the past will make us sin. Will make us re-worship those idols. That's what's going to happen. It's like guaranteed to do that. So what's the solution? The solution is keep your eyes focused upon the new life that God has given you, right? Then we can continually drive our lives into the fullness of all that Christ resurrected to give us. This is what he wants us to do. Keep our eyes focused upon Christ. So cut off sin from your life. Destroy the idols of your life. We talked about that last week, but maybe I wasn't black and white enough. Cut them off. Destroy them. We were never meant to look back. Just be captivated by Christ alone. Romans 6, 6 to 14, I think says it best. It says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11, in the same way, Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. What does that mean? 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of of righteousness, for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. Do you guys see this? The life that we've been now given, right, is the life that God wants us to live in. No longer in the past, no longer in our sinfulness, let's live for Christ. Lastly, we've been 
freed. Verse 14 to 15. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing them over, triumphing over them by the cross. There are two things that these two verses say that stood between us and God. And the first is this. The first is something that they call our legal indebtedness. Okay. And the concept that they're trying to describe here is very, very simple. When God created mankind, it's as if mankind signed this IOU telling God that I will forever live in obedience to you. But the moment that we sinned, we broke that contract and therefore we stand legally condemned to hell. That's what this legal indebtedness is talking about. But what God said he did in these verses is that he took that debt and he nailed it to the cross. And that's a visual thing. He wanted us to see all of our sins and all of our debtedness nailed to the cross. Why? So that every single time you look at the cross, Every single time you think of the cross, let's say on like Good Friday or so, that when you look at the cross, you will once again visually see that all the things that stood to condemn you, everything that you've been accused of, has now been paid for by Jesus Christ. What is it saying? It's saying that he did that visually so that every single time the cross, you that he freed you, that you have been freed. You are no longer guilty of any sin or accusation, but you've been forgiven. You are no longer condemned, but saved. You are no longer slaves, but you are now free. That's the first thing that it says that God did. The second thing that stood between us and God are these things called powers and authorities. They're spiritual powers powers and authority structures. But here, God wants you to know that he has completely disarmed them. That's what this verse says. And he has triumphed over them. Therefore, what does that mean for us? If we are truly in Christ, we never have to fear any spiritual power and authority. Christ is head over all of them. What does this all this mean? Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It means that we are completely free. You know, we are no longer under sin. We are no longer under the law or any of its obligations. There is no power or authority that can that can control us or be over us. They have all been publicly defeated. His fullness has set us free. So what? What is the response that God wants from us? It's very simple. The response that God wants from us is worship, right? And this is the big application point for today. If we have been made full in Christ, the greatest way we can spend the rest of our lives is by living a life of worship, a life of worship that spends every moment thanking him for choosing us so that we might be reconciled to the Father and so that we might know him as Lord over our lives. Worship is centered upon Christ alone. Worship seeks to give glory to Christ alone. Worship finds its deepest joys and satisfaction in Christ alone. Worship causes us to be fully committed to his family. Worship causes us to stop looking back and to cut off sin from our lives. And worship causes us to be thankful 
for the freedom that his lordship bought for us every single day. That is how we enjoy and experience the fullness of God that we've been given in Christ. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Verse Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The appropriate response to freedom is worship. So let's learn to be true worshipers of Christ in order to experience the fullness of God in our lives today. You know, our passage says very simply that we've been given fullness, right? We've been given the fullness of God in Christ alone, which means that all we need to be satisfied in this life really is in Christ. You know, I know we've talked a lot about all these things in the past two weeks, but I just hope that you don't misunderstand me. Please don't misunderstand me or scripture. You know, please work hard to cultivate relationships within your life, friendships, family members, you know, uh, marriages. Please work very, very hard. But never look to find your ultimate fulfillment in them, in these relationships. And the reason why is because they don't have the fullness of God in them. So we were never meant to experience the fullness of God in any of them, nor find our ultimate fulfillment in them. Please work very, very hard, you know. Please energetically pursue your studies, Pursue your career. Do the best that you can. Please don't misunderstand me. I want you to do that. But don't expect to find any type of transcending fulfillment in any of those things. Why? Because they don't have the fullness of God in them. Right? We'd be fools to think that we could be fulfilled in any of those things. You know, They are not the fullness of God. There's only one place that we can find that fullness, and that's in Christ alone. So if you want to know and enjoy and experience the fullness of God in your life, which we're all, which we all have, please spend each and every single day pursuing the fullness that God has given you in Christ alone. Seek Christ in your life. Let's pray. Can I just invite you today to make your life a life of worship? Sometimes the toughest thing about becoming the pastor of a church that's so established for like 30, 40 years is that we've all grown up hearing the same things. None of these truths that are preached today are probably brand new in any way. But the difficulty is that by the time we get to our age, sometimes we've stopped engaging in Christ. Sometimes maybe deep within our hearts, we've kind of given up a little bit. But yet we're still here, which tells me not only that God is holding on to you, but it also tells me that there's a part of you that's convinced that there's a lot more to this Christian faith thing than even what you've experienced up till now. And there is. The fullness of God has been given to you. And maybe in your life you haven't experienced that yet, 
or experienced that and enjoyed it and know it to the extent that you hoped. And that's why I want to invite you to once again seek after Christ. Seek after Him. Make your life a life of worship. Take these truths and meditate upon them. Take these truths and allow them to to convince you that they actually are true. And let them drive you to Jesus so that you can experience the fullness of all that God is in Christ. Will you do that? Will you give Christ another chance? And will you talk to him right now and ask him to help you live a life of worship? Let's do that together. Let's pray. so much that all the fullness of the deity, all that you are, is in Jesus Christ. And because of our faith in Christ, we now have all of your fullness within us as well. God, I pray that you just help each one of us in this room just be absolutely captivated by you. May truths that we've heard a hundred thousand times all of a sudden become fresh and dear and valuable to our hearts. Lord, we pray that these truths will become transformative so that our hearts can be fully fixated upon you and in turn find our deepest satisfaction, our deepest joy, a transcending peace. But more importantly, even above all those things, the most perfect love that we can have in you alone. God, we pray, help us to become followers of Christ that are absolutely captivated by Christ so that you might truly be glorified through all of us. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.